Right now, our country is going through a revolution. We stand with our brothers, sisters, and non-binary people of color in their struggles today. We want to voice our support for Black Lives Matter and the other movements that are fighting and bleeding to be treated as equals. When it comes to trivia and everything behind the scenes of trivia, we're glad that you choose to listen to us. But when it comes to equality, when it comes to injustice and discrimination, we hear you. We will listen to you. We love you and we are here for you. Hate has no basis in fact, and fact is why we're here. Alright, hello everyone and welcome to Quad Trivia, the podcast that takes you a step beyond trivia and into the minds of the people who craft it. I am Jeremy with Liquid Courage in Chicago. I'm Aaron with Orange Cat Trivia in Richmond, Virginia. This is Jason, also with Liquid Courage. I'm Corey with Third Degree, and I'm in Spokane. And before we get too deep into the episode, we have a special guest with us this week. Uh, Peter, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. Don't let him. My... Don't let him. Don't let him. Yeah. I, I'll, no. I'll, it's, How about I'll... we introduce him? This is Peter. Look, I can introduce myself, and then you can mute me entirely, as we discussed <laughs> before. We're recording this in five separate places. You can wipe me from this episode, no problem. <laughs> yeah, we really just need him for the name recognition. It's true. <laughs> oh God, I hope that's not what you're title. banking on. <laughs> yeah, get that, get that sweet Peter straight bump. Hi everyone, I'm <laughs> Peter. My name is Peter. Hello, I'm Peter. I am. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I am with the company of me. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, do a number of things. My primary th- career for a lot of my life has been theater directing. Uh, I am the artistic director of a small nonprofit in New York called Torn Out Theater. We do work focused on gender, sexuality, and body politics uh, since about 2016. I am part of a podcast called The Film Reroll, where we take famous movies and play them as tabletop role-playing games. That's been going for actually about the same amount of time now that I think about it. And I stream on Twitch, which I've been doing for maybe a year and change. And so generally speaking, I either make um, confrontational sociopolitical art or say dumb shit into microphones. Those are my two jobs. Well, Peter, guess guess which one we're looking for you to do today. Uh, look, I'm down for either of them, honestly. I Controversial consider... sociopolitical art. You have hit it on the head, my friend. That's the one. <laughs> I mean, y- you, you joke, but uh, without totally hijacking the entire podcast, I will say that I do consider the Twitch streaming and to a certain degree the podcast as well arms of the confrontational sociopolitical art mission. I definitely make an effort to... Honestly, even in trivia, sometimes I'll make little like edits to other people's quizzes I'm supposed to be hosting or just commentary to try and like, I don't know, spark some hope and change in people's brains. I do want to say because of Peter's influence, I am actually recording this episode topless in my own front yard right now. (laughs) And my neighbors are also confrontational. (laughs) Look, man, body positivity is a brave and courageous act. Wait, we talked about this. We said topless. I'm bottomless in my front yard. Is this going to be a problem? Only for you. My backyard's bottomless. Is that anything? So, I did uh, take Peter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Terrific work. Terrific. 
I, I for one vote we just let Peter sidetrack the whole show. Like you just keep talking because that was interesting, and then mm-hmm. everyone else is apparently naked. So please keep talking. We'll do a second podcast that's just the outtakes of my shit that I say in between other stuff. I like it. That'll be on the Patreon. A reliable source told me that you brought a guest with you, Peter. Is Sal there? <laughs> he he is, but he's he's wary of the whole podcasting <laughs> experience, you know? He's he's only now getting used to Twitch, honestly. So the whole remote podcasting thing is very, mm. he's an old-fashioned guy, you know? <laughs> Look, back in the day, if we wanted to spread the word, we would just, you know, burn someone's church down and use it to spread smoke signals, you know? It was a different time. All right. Let's not explain Sal. Let's never return to that. Let's never explain Sal. Yeah, just completely out of context in a vacuum. In other words, if you want more Sal, you need to check out Peter's uh, Twitch Hey, twitch.tv slash here's Peter. That's here's P-I-T-R. Thanks, guys. Uh, So my first experience with Peter, and I wanted to to jump in and and throw this out there. You always remember your first. (laughs) I was watching a Liquid Courage stream on twitch and well why the uh, hell would you do that i was drunk oh okay that tracks and you raided peter afterwards Uh, should we explain to people what raiding is on twitch yeah they'll figure it out okay cool we're very hostile to our listeners google it (laughs) i love it raiding is when your stream ends you go bring all your viewers to another stream and uh on that night he brought all of his viewers to here's peter never heard of this guy He's just talking in weird accents and playing video games and has a lot of high energy. And I'm like, yeah, I can fuck with this. Like, <laughs> sure. Um, now, Peter, I just got an email about an hour and a half ago with some winnings from a trivia game that I played about a week ago. Oh, you got to rub that shit into you, Corey. <laughs> oh, I do. Peter, you may not know this, but you were the host of that trivia Ah, uh, tell yes, us a little course, bit about your trivia experience. Sure. Um, so I have always enjoyed bar trivia, although I, I prior to my hosting experience, had very rarely participated because uh, I'm real dumb. And participating in those quizzes reminds me how much of a dumb dumb I am. And so it was really it was a sometimes food for sure. <laughs> my first trivia game that I hosted was not because I was looking to host trivia. I know and work with a bunch of people who work in just every conceivable... I mean, I'm in New York, right? I'm in New York in my 30s. The freelance market is disgusting and broken and everywhere. So I uh, had a collaborator of mine who was looking for a substitute host. I was pretty sure I could do it. I got to eat free pizza and get paid to talk into a microphone. So I said, absolutely. It went pretty well. I did a few more. I did a three-week substitute stint in a place in New Jersey. They did not care for me. <laughs> uh, although one of the waiters who worked at that bar did ask me out on a date. So I call oh, it a go. win. Uh, and then maybe uh, early last fall, I think it was like September, October-ish, I got a regular alternating gig doing trivia at a bar in Midtown. And that was just a goddamn fabulous gig. I loved it so much. The bar was ridiculous. You can cut any of this out. but the Oh, bar no, is this called... is all gold, baby. 
<laughs> the, this bar was called Johnny Utah's. It is, as far as I know, the only bar in New York with a mechanical bull. It is nice. in a weird-ass area of Midtown. It's in a basement. It's fucking enormous. <laughs> We're swearing on the show? Are we swearing? Oh, uh, oh intentionally, yeah. 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 Every Tremendous. And, you know, the game was on Monday evenings. And it was at 6 o'clock. And oh, that seems like no a weird one, window for it, but... Yeah, no one knew the game existed. There just was no word about it at all. And so every week that I did it, I was going up to a lot of people who had mm-hmm. no idea who this microphone man was. <laughs> I mean, I at some point it just like got into my opening MC shtick that I would say like, Hello, it's 6 o'clock on a Monday, and that means that about conservatively 9% of you know what time it is. It's time for blah, blah, blah trivia, whatever it was called. Uh, I don't know. I don't really want to give them a free plug because they semi-fired me. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a longer story. They didn't fire me. I got, I got no bad blood. I should I should say, it's called Think While You're Doing Trivia. They were very good to me. Um, they're very <laughs> wonderful. I don't know why I... I'm just sad about losing that gig. So, I, you know, and I would say like, hey, in a couple of minutes, uh, I'm going to be walking around with my big dumb midwestern smile on my face very politely interrupting your conversation to see if you want to play trivia if you do great we'll give you a thing if you don't just say no fuck off and i'll say you got it buddy and keep moving (laughs) throw him the double thumbs up as you walk away with a smile on your face oh god i was so cheery and so chipper and it was totally sincere like i don't care i you know I, i have no qualms about um bearing my mercenary soul here i got paid either way and i was having a great time but people, I mean, people were into it. I actually did over the, you know, handful of months I was doing it, start to get like a couple of returning people. A bunch of my friends started to come. I made very good friends with the staff and had a blast. Uh, but they, it was always, I never wrote the quizzes, which is something that we talked about a moment before we started recording and may come mm-hmm. up again later, that I don't really write quizzes. I don't, I don't really have a brain for it. Much in the way that like creatively I do some writing and I'm not terrible at writing but I'm a much better director and I'm a fantastic editor. Where my skills have always <laughs> sat is I have, and whatever man I'm just going to brag about this. I, I'm, Go I don't for see it. any reason not to. I'm very good at knowing how people individually and in crowds are likely to respond to things. I think that this comes from growing up as a very anxious, shy child who at some point realized, oh, if I can tell a joke that people like, then they might pay attention to me and be my friend. Uh, Were you the class clown in in school, Peter? I wasn't. I wasn't, you know? I've always been very interested by that label because it it did not apply to me. I, I wasn't like a prankster or a jokester. It was a much more like kind of insidious um like social brainwashing experience okay like i wasn't trying to get the whole room to cut up i was just trying to like essentially introduce the idea of me as a person into people's minds without saying hi i'm peter do you want to be my friends okay i think i see what you're saying now but a lot of that did i think give me a lifetime of experience of watching a crowd and anticipating how they're going to react based on watching them react to a million other things. So I can read a trivia quiz that I haven't written and know instantaneously which questions are not going to go over, 
which ones no one's going to get, which ones I'm going to get complaints about, which ones mm-hmm. are going to keep people interested in the game. I know how to get people who don't like trivia to get involved. I like how people who love trivia to get involved. Like, I, I can work a crowd. And that shit, I fucking love. I mean, everything you just said is so vital to doing pub trivia or online trivia or whatever context of trivia you're doing. It's so vital to that that I'm glad to hear that you brought it up as other pieces of the puzzle, for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just to briefly close out the the timeline, the trivia game that Corey alluded to a moment ago, which Corey won. Uh, so the game that is being alluded to, uh, when quarantine hit, a very good friend of mine who I've known for, you know, a billion years, um sent me an email and said, hey, I am interested in doing bar trivia during lockdown. I have tried a number of online trivia-ish type things and have been very unsatisfied with them, citing specifically that she felt like they did not, they weren't capturing the sort of communal social feel of trivia. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought you were say citing specifically third degree entertainment, <laughs> but okay, continue. Well, I should say I've only now um, seen I've seen one of Corey's games. I have yet to see uh, a Liquid Courage stream, which I will eventually on some night that I'm not streaming somehow try and catch. Um, I think she was. I don't think she was watching live stream trivia. I don't. I don't. I forget exactly what she explained to me, but it was a lot more text based stuff. Okay, uh, and it just felt sort of cold and sterile, which I will say, uh, Corey's did not feel like that. Um, I had a, I had a great deal of fun uh, playing on Corey's channel last week. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, in the space, especially once the shutdown hit, kind of scrambled to come up with the best way to present what their mm-hmm. in-person game was in an online context. And honestly, a lot of people in the space aren't as familiar with, you know, streaming platforms and software and that. So I'm not, I'm not going to dig too deeply in anybody who, you know, at least to start was kind of running one of those sterile kind of cold games just to, to get into the space. Um, but I will say that we're about two months in now. So hopefully, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that the quality has improved across the board. Yeah, and I mean, what we did was uh, try to really squeeze every last drop out of Zoom's technical capabilities, including the fact that they have breakout rooms, which obviously are built for corporate meetings, but work pretty well for allowing teams of people in disparate locations to get in little huddles between rounds and compare answers. And there are obviously a million other ways to do that. I mean, when we did Corey's game, my team and I were all on Discord. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, I mean, it was just a very exciting thing to try and figure out, one, how to use this new format to approximate the in-person game, but also, two, to figure out how, and I know this, um, we'll get more into this because it's the, the theme, I understand, of uh, today's episode, but how to make the quiz as Google-proof as possible when everyone is, by necessity, sitting at a computer that's a really good point and it does kind of beautifully thank you peter it's almost like you've done this before uh get us <laughs> into the topic for our roundtable discussion today um i want to talk with you guys for a little bit about uh trivia format rules and how they pertain specifically to cheating so i think we'll just kind of jump in jeremy i'll let you talk so that i don't have to because i pay you to do it what kind of in-game rules does liquid courage 
use, especially when they're doing like a live show, uh, as I use the third person plural royal sense as I refer to my own damn company. So basically, like what can you talk a little bit about our format, how our scoring works and you as a host specifically and the rest of you feel free to jump in on this. How do you grade a question that you know, the answer comes in and it's not exactly what you're expecting, what does and doesn't count for credit. I mean, it's definitely a uh, case by case basis. It depends on what they put in. My biggest thing is unless it asks for like a specific spelling or like the question says like specifically it needs to be in this format, I'm usually fairly lenient uh, with as long as they show that they have knowledge of the topic. I won't go into the big thing, but the other day I would have ruled the same way you did on a question that came in online, which was the... um the hole-in-one golf question. Oh, do not Somebody's, bring that up. That gave me such uh, a fucking headache too late. when that hit. It's mentioned. I want to hear it. But but no, this the, the, the thing was a couple teams, I guess, put, uh, you know, it would be a par five, which is what they got the hole-in-one on, but some people put negative four, which I would have given credit to the same way Jason did. Yeah, the question, uh, um, happy with just that. to catch you guys up, the question was basically, what is uh, the par score of the longest verified hole-in-one in golf history, having uh, been achieved at least four times in recorded golf history? Uh, and a bunch of teams read that and went, okay, what what's the par number of the hole, which is what I was going for. Uh, a handful of teams uh, submitted in negative numbers. They were looking for the score the golfer got on that hole relative to par. And there was a surprising amount of snark about me grading uh, par five and minus four is equally correct. And I'm drinking right now to forget that. So thanks for bringing it up, Jeremy. Well, the point I was making was you, you asked this question and I would have ruled the same way because the teams that put the negative four showed knowledge of the question. They might have read it a little wrong, mm-hmm. but first off, there's not massive money on the line. Second off, because they showed the knowledge, I, I would have given it to them. It's just... Negative four. Okay, I can look at reading this question, like where you read it, it could be, I saw score in there. Score would have been a negative four. That's what you would have gotten had you scored a hole in one of that. You would have gotten a one, technically, it's one stroke, Mm -hmm. but you would also gotten a negative four off of your total score, or it would have been a hole in one on a par five. And any one of those, I would have been okay with if they could explain it. Um, so there's three different, I mean, golf is a very complex sport. Well, there are different ways to answer that question. I don't know that it's fair to call it a sport, but <laughs> yeah, it's complex. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. So I like that in my regular game too. The, the, that was a recent example, which is why I brought up. And a lot of people who might listen to this were probably in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the point was that was the right ruling in my point was that, yeah, they showed knowledge of the question. They gave a correct answer, in a sense, depending on how you read it. Like, factually correct, yeah. Yeah, they were factually correct. Now, uh, the other thing is, like, when it comes down to spelling things, as long as it sounds right, I'll give somebody credit. Like I said, it's really a case-by-case basis when it comes down to the scoring and, you know, do you call something right or not. Mm -hmm. And there's other times where I've had to be kind of a jerk, be like, no, I can't give you credit on this, even though they showed knowledge, but it was, like, way off base. Like, you know, I said, name the actor in this movie, and you name the movie. Or you name the character name or, or something like that. Or you like name that. the character, and I'm like, I specifically in the question said actor. Or I said character, and you gave me the actor. While I'm going around the room, because when we do it live, we go, we have our whiteboards, we go around the room, and we have our automatic scoring in the system where we use our keyboard. And before I'll give them credit, I'll say, okay, you gave me the actor, can you give me the character if it wasn't in the question? Like, they didn't just write down the, something for, out of the question. And if they can, I will give it to them. And a lot of that kind of goes to you, your intent as a writer. Um, if the, like... 
nexus or the crux of the question was, oh, everybody knows his character name, but not everybody remembers which Baldwin brother played him or whatever. And you give me the character name. I'm going to be more hard pressed to kind of give you that credit uh, because what I was looking for, like what the nugget of the question was happened to be around the actor and not necessarily the character. So I think um, you have an advantage as a writer who also hosts your own shows that you know what was in your brain when you wrote the question. You can kind of uh, vary your grading accordingly. Accordingly. Yeah, God, so. I've got to get out of quarantine. And actually, it's, it's really funny we got into this because I, I would actually like to throw this to Peter a little bit. Um, as somebody who doesn't write his own questions but does host shows... Um, I was curious, how do you deal with, um, it's funny that it circled back, how do you deal with somebody arguing the answer to a question as somebody who didn't actually write the questions? Uh, well, for one thing, a lot of times I will say, buddy, I will, I'll, I'll, I don't write the quiz. I will just straight up remind them <laughs> that I do not write the quiz, not as a way of abdicating all responsibility, but it does... Mm -hmm. In, it does shift the culture of the conversation to less adversarial and more sort of arbitrational. Is that a word? Arbitrative? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm an intercessor between them and the quiz. It's very Talmudic at that point. I love that you couldn't get to the proper form of arbitration, so you went to intercessor and Talmudic. I respect that. Yeah, well, my brain is full of a lot of... This is why it drives me crazy that I'm bad at trivia, because my brain is full of a lot of dumb junk that yep. makes it seem like I should be smart, and yet, <laughs> and yet. Being smart um, and being good at trivia are not the same thing. No, that I know. Um, believe me, I know. I, I mean, okay, just to speak, I suppose, more succinctly to it. Um, for me, again, it it is all about working the crowd first. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I tend to be fairly capricious about things like this because to me the priority is, is the crowd having a good time? Are they enjoying the game? And if they disagree with me on a certain question and that disagreement never gets resolved, but it doesn't affect their enjoyment of the play, then, like, I'm kind of good with that. Like, one thing I'll do a lot is if people dispute an answer... And I feel like it's like sort of in the middle somewhere before it gets even too far. I'll just say, I'll tell you what, if at the end of the game, it comes down to one point, I'll revisit it. Because, you know, we have a prize for first place and a prize for second place. Mm -hmm. If you were in sixth or eighth, I don't know that's going to affect your feelings about the game that much. And if the gap in points was seven and you're arguing over a one point question, like let's save ourselves the time now instead of quibbling over little points now when if it's not going to fucking matter later. This is why we have tiebreaker questions. This is why we... And I've done this. I've had games where it was a one-point question, and I had to go back and and really think about it. But that's happened maybe a couple times. I definitely say it's not a normal occurring thing, but it does come up. Yeah, and also, I, and this is more unique to my philosophy on things, but, like, I... I'm very much working the, not to be too sociopathic behind the curtain here, but like I am working the charisma of my personality into the game and into the event. And one thing that I like to do is to make it clear that I am a capricious god. <laughs> <laughs> like I establish pretty much up front that it's going to be kind of a loosey-goosey affair. 
Now, this is different if I'm playing for a group that's really intense about trivia. Then I will shift to a more hard line, push the glasses up my nose type of thing. Oh, yeah. The room that you're playing for definitely matters in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, the bar I was playing for, people didn't know trivia was happening. They like, I don't know. So I would go light on rules and light on hair splitting. But that was for that room. Mm hmm. So when you say light on rules, what uh, what rules specifically like would you put forth to the crowd? So, um, like I said, I, I was uh, given you know a quiz each time uh, with a steady set of rules, and I was very familiar with them. And this is what I, I had done it in this place in Jersey, and they were like legit about shit. They've been doing it like the regulars, so they knew the rules. I would just reiterate them. When I got to this place in Midtown, it was clear I felt, and I stand by this that if I had given them the full set of rules, no one would have played. It, it would have okay, been I can see that. overwhelming. So the rules that I always give are this number of people to a team, don't use your fucking phones, and don't yell out answers. That's basic mechanics of how yeah. the structure and the format go. Yeah. You have hit a hot button issue right <laughs> there. You have touched a yeah. nerve, brother. <laughs> we're, so, we're all like, oh, how do we go with this? Because this is something that comes up. Let's jump. <laughs> let's just dive headfirst into that. Team limits. Peter, since you brought it up, tell us your thought on team limits and how you approach it, how you penalize it, how you came to the conclusion that you did with it well look the, the rule was given to me by the company it is six people to a team okay. i i upheld it and enforced it because i think it matters but i i just don't want to give the impression that this is something that i arrived at independently uh i think that it is important to have limits because the more brains you have the better you're gonna do on average I think that there's sort of a, an obvious hole there, which is like, well, what if you just show up with yourself or like with two people? Like if we're introducing the given that having more people is an unfair advantage, isn't having fewer people an unfair disadvantage? And my thought on that is, yeah, it sure is. Make, better, <laughs> make friends better. Be nicer to people. Or yeah, don't... I think there's two sides to that i have people that have come to shows and played solo and won sure so who actually had the disadvantage there the team with six where they're all arguing over it or somebody who went in there went with their gut and their knowledge and just walked away with the prize and i think that comes down to composition of audience as well um my players yeah. my regulars tend to be competitive and good i have a hard time writing questions they can't answer particularly in my live game so you know the team of two would routinely win and no one could be mad about it because there wasn't a whole brain trust it was just two people who were really good at the kind of questions i asked peter what was the penalty for being over six people was it they just weren't allowed to play uh were they handicapped a certain number of points how how was that addressed we would just split them we'd split them into i say we i i would split them into two teams they said no then they just couldn't play yeah okay <laughs> yeah i mean it's again it was easier because they didn't come here for the trivia so no one was heartbroken, I, although I never had to do that. That never came up. That's something that, that has come up for me multiple times. I go back and forth on the, the team size limit. Right now, I loosely enforce a team size limit of six people, and then I introduce a handicap per person over six, which is applied at the end of the night, if it's going to make a difference. 
two points per person over. So if it's a, a team of 10 people at the end of the night, I'll take eight points away from their score. Mm-hmm. But it, I'm just so constantly torn on that because my goal is to be bringing people in to this restaurant. You know, I don't want to mm-hmm. tell people, Hey, only bring five of your friends. <laughs> Yes, thank you for making that point for me, Corey. You've got 11 people that want to come spend money? No. No. I I only want five of them. If you do bring all of them, well, you don't get to hang out with half of your friends tonight. It's really, you know, it's a a tough spot. And they're usually pretty chill about it when you say it up front. You know, let them know that it's coming. But you still see, you know, even if you do split them, they usually stay at the same table and they wind up having a lot of very similar answers. Um, and it's just one of those things that's kind of hard to, to is, work around. It is a hard, it's hard to thread, justify It comes back way. to the conversation we always have about your interest versus the player's interest versus the interest of the venue. Um, my game, we settled on six because most of the tables in the brew where I host are four tops. And if you have a team of eight, you're now losing a table, a spare table. You know, it just made more sense to give more individual units of people um, but I always make the joke, like, if you have more than five friends, good for you, share your secrets with me. But also, you're <laughs> going you're going to lose two points per person, so I make sure to tell them their wins above replacement is pretty good. And um, I give people the option, because most of my games, the top five are typically no more than seven to ten points apart. So two points can be the difference between first and third sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, but one of the things that I've discovered is if big groups show up and they're there for like a happy hour and then they, they go, oh, wow, trivia is starting. Can we play? And they've got a table of 10. I say, yeah, we have to split into two teams. And they either, Corey, do like you said and share answers and whatever, but they're never usually in striking distance of winning anyway. Or they get super, super competitive and it's really fun because they end up like hiding yeah. games from each other and yelling at each other. And that's the stuff that I live for. So um, Absolutely. I've never had it bite me in the butt, but it definitely was a conversation the the tapper manager and I had at the start was how do we want to handle this? Yeah, I actually uh, just really quick uh, had that exact same scenario one night, which was awesome uh, at my show, where there was a group that was there before, like they had come in for dinner and there were like maybe 12 people, I want to say. And I asked them if they would split into two teams if they wanted to play. And they said, sure. And then they got super competitive with each other. That's great. If I can break a friendship, I've done my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of the oddball here in the group, I think, because I run two different formats at live shows. One of them has a team limit. One of them doesn't. And I'm going to just kind of briefly explain the, the reason why and the difference between the two. So about two years ago, when I started breaking into doing theme nights, they were specifically being held at places that had really limited seating options. So I made the conscious decision uh, since we wanted to know kind of information in advance and these were one time scheduled events. Uh, I made the conscious decision to, to limit team size to six. That was exclusively uh, for seating convenience reasons as we were RSVPing and reserving tables and all that. Um, generally, my policy is and I will I will fight with you guys on this. I know that I'm the oddball here. Why in the world? Am I going to tell you not to bring 15 of your friends into a venue that's paying me to convince you to bring 15 of your friends in? <laughs> exactly. So I have a I have a kind of hard line policy against having team limits, uh, and I will make arguments for and against it as far as teams go. I have a show every Wednesday at a pizzeria in a smaller town, so it's like it's the hangout place in the area. And they often have, you know, after T-ball game uh, parties, birthday parties, graduation parties, stuff like that, that happens 
completely coincidentally with my show. Uh, and about half the time, those you know tables of like 20 people decide that they want to jump in because they were getting ready to kind of finish up when I was starting. They're like, oh, we can hang out for two more hours. I'm not going to tell a group of 20 that got there two hours before me that they have to break up their team and sit at different tables. And I'm sure the hell not going to tell that team of 20 that just spent a couple hundred dollars at the venue that they're not allowed to play. I guess my question then is like, if you're talking about a large group that was already there and is there coincidentally, does it matter if they don't play? Or the flip side is, does it hurt anything if they do? Yeah, I mean, odds are that that team in that instance isn't going to be hyper competitive anyway. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I just mean that, like, the interplay between how do we protect the format and fairness of the game and how do we promote the sales pitch of the venue's entertainment factor? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that those questions to me kind of have to be approached separately based on who the customer is if they're already here i i definitely see where you're coming from peter like oh they're already spending all this money like we don't need them for the trivia they're here to celebrate softball or whatever but you want to retain them too you know the next week after softball you want them to say well let's go back to bob and tom's pizzeria you know they have the trivia afterwards and that was a lot of fun so why don't you then say hey why don't you come back next time and you guys can plan out your separate teams and make like a fun thing out of it like you can do a little uh, intramural competition between you like you know i think there are ways to spin that yeah you can definitely try yeah, no, there definitely are. But at the same time, I don't want to put a barrier to entry uh, in any way, shape or form. So for me, it's as simple as what can I do to entice you to come in next week with as many people fill as many seats as possible? Because at the end of the day, um, yeah, my job is to be a trivia host. But really deep down, my job is to be a carnival barker. Mm hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm just coming from such a dire history of retention that, like, <laughs> it's just not something that I really, because it was such a rare possibility. I mean, I didn't mm -hmm. mention this, but also, like, it's Midtown Manhattan at 6 o'clock. A bunch of the people there are tourists who are about to go see a Broadway show. Yeah, okay. isn't, you were talking about, that place is right there by Radio City. Yep. And. We are half a block from Radio City. <laughs> it's, we're on yeah. the same block. Um, wow. So, like. In a lot of these cases, retention is not an option. Okay, I see what you're saying for sure on that. Um, yeah. But just to kind of put a pin on on what I was saying about uh, team limits, what I tell teams that complain about, oh, I was just here with my girlfriend or wife or whatever. Oh, and they have, you know, six or eight people over at their table. Of course they won. I'm like, well, I never told you that you couldn't bring six of your friends in here either. Sure. So when complaints about, well, not even so much complaints, but like when criticisms about that ruling coming to play, my go-to is, well, then next week, bring a bigger team. You'll find, I think, that it's harder to uh, manage a bigger team because you have so many oars in the water simultaneously. It might not be for you. Do whatever you think is easiest for you to be most competitive. And, um, you know, if a team of 12 people where six of them are just, you know, girlfriends and parents or whatever, and it's their weekly hangout and they're just here for appetizers and to watch basketball on TV, you know, are kicking your ass, it's because you are not as good as them. So get good. <laughs> get good. 
I think at the end of the day, there's no wrong answer on this. Um, do right in your case, Jeremy and Peter, do right by your your boss or whoever you know runs the event that you're hosting at. Obviously, for, for us independent operators, do right by your client venues. And most importantly, do what feels best for you to put the best product out there that you can. Yeah, I think the wrong answer is anyone that hamstrings you or pisses people off, which is, again, it's tricky. And it depends so much on the kind of people and the kind of venue and all that. I think there isn't really a one-size-fits-all answer, which is why we all have different rules. Orange categories. Sorry. That was such a perfectly timed meow. (laughs) Sometimes if I squeeze him, he meows. He didn't do it this time. (laughs) I was going to make him make a noise, but he didn't. (laughs) So I I think we had a a good touch on team size. Uh, I've been using the same five rules for about five years now. I'm going to throw the other ones out there, four of them out there, and just kind of see what y'all have to say about that. The fifth one, I'll let you know in chat what it is, because I think it's going to be its own big topic, like (laughs) team size was. Um, But the rules, though... I have to stop myself from making a joke that I can't make on someone else's podcast. I mean, you can. Yeah, the handcuffs are off, Peter. Is the fifth rule no Jews? Like, what? Why, why, are we, why are we putting it in chats? Well, that's not Hold on, let me, I thought Let me scroll going. through the Discord chat for, for triple parentheses here to make sure we're not going to have that problem. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, that is, that's not it. Uh, it's that. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is its own topic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, fair enough. Oh, okay. Well, um, I like this. We're building up suspense for the listener. <laughs> but the the other four rules, which I'll just go over quickly, like I said, one is don't shout out answers. Mm-hmm. I know different, you know, trivia hosts do that differently. I prefer to have no shouting out. I don't want people fucking with each other like that. Mm-hmm. Don't argue with me. I've said this before on the podcast, and I'll say it a lot more times before we're done. If you know the subject well enough to argue with me about it, then you probably know exactly what answer I'm looking for. So just fucking put it. Yep. I foot I footnote that in a lot of my questions. Like, don't start with me. Yeah. Just answer mm-hmm. the damn question. And then I, I that one has its own mini spiel that goes into no arguing with me. If you're certain that I got an answer wrong, come up and talk to me about it between rounds. And I'll explain to you why you're wrong. But don't interrupt trivia. <laughs> I'll explain to you why you're wrong. Exactly. (laughs) Because 95% of the time, that's what's happening. They Googled it and misread the little Google (laughs) synopsis. And it's like, okay, fuck off and let me do my job. (laughs) But yeah, even if they're like 100% right, if they argue during trivia, I will not give them the point. They can come up and talk to me about it during the scoring breaks. And that's fine. The other one, no disrespect. Definitely don't disrespect the staff. Don't disrespect the other teams. And then the fifth one is just a, a doubling rule. I use doubling at my my trivia, and I tell them if you don't use it, that's on you. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just leaving money on the table, man. Exactly. If I remember and I'm feeling generous, I'll if I notice they didn't double, I'll just automatically double their final round. But it's on them. So, but yeah, if you want to touch on any of those or throw some other basic rules out there that you use let's get those out there before we get into the big one yeah i'll uh yeah i'm gonna throw it out there that jason just reminded me of uh there's a team where 
Uh, they do it to him at a lesser extent, but every time I cover uh, one of his shows at this one venue, there's a team who will argue almost every question to the point where um, I ended up, uh, they threw me off a little bit where I ended up giving them a point where I shouldn't have, and mm. I'm like, whatever, it happened, it was one point, it was on like their one point round. Wasn't a big deal because we, we do multipliers, so one, two, three, four, or five. You choose which round you want the point on, and so I'm like, whatever it happened, it was one point. And there, it came to a point in the show, and where I just had to be like, you know what? I'm not taking any arguments anymore. We're done. Like that's it. Moving on. Uh, you can be unhappy or not. I don't care. It, it, my my ruling stands. This is what it is. Uh, because they would try to argue semantics. If you get your host in a position where they're just not putting up with your shit anymore, you have done something wrong to <laughs> yep. the social contract. Yep. Yeah, and th- that's just really all I had to say about that. It was just... And I, I, they're a good team. They're really good at trivia, but they like to argue semantics, and it just gets to a point where you're like, yep, no, I'm done. So I'm with you on that rule. No arguing. And it's different for us, Jeremy, than it is for some other hosts because we specifically run a one-question one answer format instead of everybody handing in like a round slip where we can kind of make more thoughtful long-term research rulings on some edge cases quite often and i think jeremy has been in this experience aaron you've seen our shows uh live so you know it is a split second decision that has to come out of our mouths to say okay that's what i'm looking for or no that's definitely wrong and anything in the middle it's either you have to make that decision right then and there and say, okay, I'll accept that and I'll accept that for everyone else who put that or that's not what I'm looking for and I won't accept it from anybody else. Or in the very rare case, uh, the can you clarify what you mean very, very quickly so I know what to do before I move on. Mm-hmm. The other one was it's only happened to me once at my shows uh, or maybe twice. Three or four teams gave me a different answer than what I had completely. Okay. And I'm like, well, wait. The, the, this almost seemed too clear because I told them they were wrong, but I'm like, wait, hold on, I saw this answer three times. Let me look it up, um, which I've done. Like I said, it's very rare that it happens, and it turns out they were right. There was a secondary answer to this question, and I gave them credit, but I, I looked it up. Mm-hmm. That's happened to me a lot, too, so I understand what that is. When you see like half your room go the same direction and you don't know for sure why it's wrong, you, you get on your, your laptop, you get on your smartphone, and you quickly Google it and find out why you, I don't want to say made a mistake, but didn't pin down the question succinctly enough to get to the answer you were looking for. And then in that case, and my ruling is quite often this, tie goes to the runner. I mean, I can't expect you to read my mind and know exactly what I intended for this answer to be. Um, I can't tell if I can't tell you why you're wrong, then you're not wrong. Answer my question, not my intent. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah, yeah, right. And but sometimes it's like, oh, I didn't realize that in the past three weeks somebody else has qualified as the answer to this question or something like that. Oh um, my god, that is why I don't do current events questions anymore. This happened <laughs> eight years ago. I did a question about a big anonymous hack, I think, on the CIA's uh, forward-facing like public website. I wrote the question. I kid you not, it was 4 p.m. on a Wednesday to be asked around 7.30 p.m. that day. One other, I think it was the FBI's uh, server, got hacked in between when I wrote the question and when I asked it. <laughs> so I had to accept FBI, even though I had no idea it had happened. People had heard it as they were, you know, coming in to the venue. And at that point, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not doing current events questions anymore because the answer changes <laughs> between when I wrote it and when I asked it. And I do not have enough rum in my glass right now to put up with that. Nah, Jason, the, the issue there isn't about current event questions. It's you underestimated the hackers. 
That was your mistake. <laughs> no, that's fair. And it, I mean, it was like one situation, but I swear it's it's happened a couple times. And I did those. I did five current event questions every show for about three years. And then for whatever reason, I think I lost the joie de vivre of it more than anything else. And I just used this as my out. Um, because this is right around the time where everybody was getting on social media. Twitter had just gotten huge. Facebook was becoming ubiquitous. And, you know, it was hard to write a current events question that either A, everybody knew the answer to, or B, nobody had any clue what it was. So finding that sweet spot was really, really tough. We can obviously talk about, like, the nature of current events questions uh, on another episode. I know, I know, Aaron, you do them religiously, and I'd love to get in that conversation with you. Yeah. Um, but does anybody else, other than the rules that uh, Corey kind of introduced, because I think those are largely universal and he well phrased them, uh, anything specific that you guys do at your shows that is different than you think other people do as far as uh, rules or rulings? I rely a lot on shaming people. Um, and I didn't do this on purpose. It wasn't like a conscious choice. But I opened my show by saying the primary rule is don't be a dick. And being a dick includes, but is not limited to things like looking up answers, shouting out answers. Um, and I make that pretty clear, kind of like Corey said, right answers, wrong answers, joke answers. Like worst case scenario, your joke answer is the right answer. Actually, worst case scenario, your joke answer isn't funny, which I think is worse. But like, even if you're shouting something that's tangential, you might trigger something in someone else's head and, you know, just, just shut the fuck up while the question is live. It's like learned league rules almost. Um, because like, for me, it's usually people who are like trying to get ahead and be funny. It's like, you're probably not funny and you're tipping people off. If you want to crack jokes on answer sheets, go right ahead. I'll read them if I think they're funny. Um, or shout them out when I read them. But anyway, that's something that drives me nuts. Um, yeah. And we'll talk about cheating in a minute. As far as contesting questions, I'm very clear that I'm not a subject matter expert. I write 50 questions a week and I don't have time to research everything. So my rule is if you disagree with me, and people often do, like, come talk to me about it, like you guys said. Mm -hmm. Mine's a little bit different in that there's 10 questions, so there's a grading time in between. Um, and as long as you're not a dick about it, again, don't be a dick. As long as you're not an asshole about it, I'll hear you out. I'll do some research, and I will come up with a conclusion as to why either I'm right or you're right. And then I like to tell people. And I think that that's something that has helped build mutual respect. If people are nice to me, I'm not just going to say, fuck you, my question, my rules. Um, which is mm -hmm. something that I don't like about the bigger companies where the host isn't allowed to give any leeway. And people respect the fact that I'm going to say, well, the question as written required this answer or the question as written was vague and your answer is good too. And that's something that I, I think has helped build a rapport with my, my regulars and players where I'm going to I'm gonna admit if I make a mistake because I'm going to get fewer questions wrong than my players do on a given Thursday night. So I still win. And <laughs> it's I a case by case basis for sure. Yeah. Like I had a couple weeks ago, I asked a question about, and this might be a bad example because we're going to get into religion a little bit, but I asked a question about the Quran, which according to dogma is the divinely inspired word of God and, you know, went straight from, from God into the page. But according to historicity, the document was told through a prophet. And I learned that because a bunch of people, the question required Quran, but a bunch of people wrote Book of Mormon because I talked about a prophet and mm -hmm. I got to talk to people about the difference in the two. And that was really fun for me. So I enjoy that aspect of it. Again, as long as people aren't a dick. And if someone is a dick, I'm just like, dude, you broke rule number one. Don't be a dick. And apparently people respond really well to that because it only ever happens once per person. And some people are really apologetic about calling me out on my bullshit, which <laughs> I could probably roll it back a little bit. But because I'm, I'm wrong sometimes um, and some people are apologetic for telling me I'm wrong. But again, I really need to adopt a don't be a dick rule at my shows. Yeah. 
And I think I will uh, after this this roundtable discussion for sure. You, you brought some you brought some stuff to the table. Usually, um, I just call you out for it sarcastically. But now, if I kind of front load with, "Hey, if you're a dick to me, guess what? I'm a professional dick, and I yeah. will whip it out at you." Yep. Let's go. The first time I streamed, someone didn't understand the rules and were putting answers in the chat, and I I was like what is wrong with you that you're in here doing? I didn't realize it was a mistake. It was someone I didn't know. And I'm like, dude, okay. what is what is wrong with you that you're doing this? Like, who gets their jollies by doing this sort of thing? Knock it off. And one of my regulars was like, wow, that was an A-plus Aaron-level shame speech. And I went, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's part I of think the I was in your stream for that, actually. You that, might that have been. familiar, yeah. Yeah. But it works. Anyway, that's, you know, don't be a dick. That's the rule. I think Peter had something to say. Uh, I'll just touch on this very briefly because I... I um, Again, I don't want to repeat myself too much. I'm coming at this from a really different spot most of the time where I'm usually not hosting. Hosting is the word. I almost said performing because that is sort of what it feels like more to me. I'm not hosting most of the time for serious trivia diehards. So I definitely spend a lot more energy, as I said before, kind of channeling the goofy clown boy microphone man energy which does a lot on its own i have found to stem dickishness or, mm-hmm. or at least the unwelcome kind because I, I also wanted to say that i i encourage a certain level of dickatry in my games uh i find it energizing i like having that loosely adversarial vibe with the crowd this is not to say that it can't go over the edge um this is you know a different topic so i won't go too deep into it but definitely i had established something of a fun heckling culture with Mm -hmm. a lot of the people that i was used to coming at the games and then one night a team came that had never been there before and clearly didn't understand the degrees of heckling (laughs) uh and i don't think it's a degree well, I, I also, know. like, no one beats up my little brother but me. Like, you don't know me yeah. like that, bro. Right. Oh, absolutely. It's a lot of unwritten rules. Fucking, you know, douchey McDrunkenstein at the bar who's here every week, he can throw some shit at me whenever he wants. I don't know you finance, bro. Sit down. <laughs> but I don't say that. I feel that. like you've said that. Oh, you should say that. Here's the thing, and here's why I don't... And again, I'll, I feel like this is another... Just, that's not my vibe, I I work very hard to be the cool dad because <laughs> if I again these are not people by and large who showed up for trivia and if they did they usually showed up because they've been there before and I don't mean to be conceited that's not my point they came back because of me right mm-hmm. they came back because they had a fun time in my game not because yeah. they're super invested in the trivia and so right. if I come like so I also have the rules of be nice to your servers and don't argue with me, but I don't say them as rules at the top of the game. I just make it clear as it comes up and put it out as, I mean, I'll say be nice to your servers, but I don't put that in the rules talk, you know? Yeah, you just banner them in. And when I say no shouting answers, I just, it's a very quick thing. I just say, don't yell at answers. Uh, If they're right, you're fucking it up for other people. If they're wrong, I'll make fun of you on the microphone. I do it every night. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, with with the whole no disrespect situation, I do listeners may have noticed that I am a dick. Um it comes through pretty hard in anything I do that's public facing. Promise I'm nice. 
otherwise. But it's just, it's, you know, that trivia host persona. But part of that with the no disrespect rule is I'll say no disrespect. I'm going to be putting out so much dickish energy. You don't need to contribute any more to it. I'm going to talk shit to you. You don't need to talk shit to other people. And there are usually a, a lot of people have specifically said that they come back because of how I treat them, which makes me think I need to start charging them for it. Corey, are you not getting paid? Not for dominating people. Oh, eh, oh you got to get paid for that, buddy. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I'm going to have say... to start pointing at the tip jar. If I could say one actually quick thing and not like the other times I said it was going to be quick and then I talked forever. Just because this was a question that I think maybe Corey or someone asked earlier of me. Corey, the rule you mentioned about the the doubling the round. Uh, yeah. th- the game that I used to host in Midtown had a rule, had essentially a, a wager rule. The specifics don't matter. Uh, I walked into that bar on day one and said to myself, I'm not, I'm not doing this rule. I, I never brought it back to my boss. I never mentioned it to anyone. I just, it was too much mechanics and I mm-hmm. just fucking skipped it entirely. Yeah, especially in a situation like you were where it was a lot of drop-in, drop-out stuff. The more moving mm-hmm. parts that you have uh, rules-wise is probably not in your best interest for retention and also having a good event night after night after night. I can I can see that. And then, of course, I think we all have the un written but incredibly written rule don't cheat guys (laughs) yeah i I, something i i thought of earlier with the team limits thing also uh (laughs) and i don't know if this is going to be a controversial thing uh because i've had some teams cheat and i'll tell you man it is awesome to be tight with the bartenders because they just tell you and no one tries to hide it from the bartenders they don't know that they're reporting to me That's uh, but like if there's if there's a team that's over the team limit size, if there's a team that's cheating, if this is happening, this is happening, whatever, man, I'll just change the fucking scores. Right. Yeah. Like I mean, that's that's one of the biggest benefits of being in charge is Okay, you know, good. You can good. argue I'm... with me all you want, but I still control the answer sheet. <laughs> I wasn't sure how that was gonna go over. <laughs> yeah, no, I said that uh, uh, a couple times in a game, like when people were getting kind of like argumentative over stuff. Even kind of going back to earlier, I'm like, remember who's holding the keyboard and controls your score sheets? And remember and who has the gift certificates in their pocket right <laughs> yeah, now? Yeah. <laughs> I should be clear. I didn't tell them I changed the score. I just did it. Okay, so. Looking at the clock right now, this rule discussion has already gone a little bit longer than we had planned. How about we just cut it here and we talk about the uh, final few rules, including the big one, which is absolutely not no Jews uh, (laughs) in the next episode. Oh, that sounds good to me. We could sit here and talk for like three hours about rules and we might um, but let's do it in in piecemeal chunks for sure all right well then jason why don't you take us into the keyword challenge yeah let's get right into that peter this is going to be a little new for you aaron jeremy Corey, and i have uh done this a couple times at this point but uh we thought when we put this podcast together it'd be a lot of fun to kind of showcase uh i'm not going to use the word talents if you've heard our previous um results but showcase our, our different skill levels and different approaches to writing a trivia question. So uh, about uh, two months ago, I put out some feelers on social media for people to send me random keywords, words, 
phrases, names, uh, that we would then constrict ourselves in a 10 minute window to write the single best or most unique trivia question we could uh, that has something to do with the theme that was presented. So we still have a couple dozen of those. Uh, we are actively accepting new ones and we ask you listeners, please send your submissions to us at quadriviapod at gmail.com. Uh, just use the uh, subject line keyword challenge and send us one topic, one very vague or specific or brief kind of thing uh, that you want to hear us all bash our brains against the wall to try to write a trivia question in 10 minutes on. So, uh, Peter, I think you understand what we're looking for at this point. I hate it. I can't wait. This is going to be great, guys. Uh, Random number generator has been pulled. All right, guys, are you ready for this week's keyword challenge theme? This comes to us from Paul McLaughlin. Uh, didn't leave a location, but if I remember correctly, uh, Paul is out on the East Coast somewhere. I won't get more specific than that. Uh, you ready for this one? What's his zip code? Okay. What's that, Peter? What, what's his zip code and his full street address? Uh, it's very I important tell you for the I question knew. I'm going to write. It, it really yeah, we, is. We have to send stickers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. This week, our keyword is catacomb. So like, like when it. when your Persian spur gets all matted? No, stop. stop shut, shut, <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Shut up forever. Please. Stop giving away the gold. Sorry. All right, guys. Uh, it is time to break away and uh, come up with the best thing we can come up with. So uh, we will give you guys a little teaser here on the podcast about where you can submit your keyword challenges. As for us here in the studios, we'll see you on the other side. Whoop, whoop. Hey everyone, Jason here. While the host and I step away to think about our keyword challenge, we just wanted to remind you, you can check us out online at QuadriviaPod on Twitter. On Facebook, just search for Quadrivia Podcast. And you can always email us at quadriviapod at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear from you. And now, back to the show. All right, guys, and we are back after a uh, hopefully eventful 10-minute break off microphone to figure out exactly how the hell we're going to work Catacomb into a question. I'm um, really interested to see uh, the directions that you guys took on it. I don't know that I love mine personally, but I figure we can throw it over to uh, Peter, our special guest today. Uh, you can be the sacrificial lamb. So, Peter, what do you have for us? All right, here we go. I feel about i don't know a hot b minus on this question the outsider whose narrator closes by announcing that he rides with the mocking and friendly ghouls on the night wind and plays by day amongst the catacombs of nephron ka in the sealed and unknown valley of hadoth by the nile is one of the most popular short stories by what new england writer <laughs> Oh, that is... That's really good, actually. Uh, what's the answer? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, this Jason wants to come up with it or somebody. <laughs> and yes, I am holding my arms in a dramatic position <laughs> for nobody right now. There you go. Uh, anybody have a guess on this one? Because I could... I'm basically just going off of blah, 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 Catacombs, New England writer. Uh, the outsider. Oh. Okay. Oh, I know who it is. Okay, yeah. I got it now. I totally missed something at the beginning and got lost in everything you said. In the sonorous drone of my hypnotic voice. 
Yeah, something like that. <laughs> oh, that's that's obviously famed New England uh, author Scott Hall, right? The Outsider. <laughs> uh, I I thought that was uh, the Little House on the Prairie gal. Laura <laughs> Ingalls Wilder. Scott Hall, the Little House on the Prairie gal. <laughs> yeah. If I had to venture a guess, I mean a, a real one, um, it sounds very Lovecraftian. Yeah. Really? No. Oh shit! No? Yeah. No. no, that's probably what? absolutely right. No, no, no. But I always get him confused with uh, Doyle because they they were friends and they were around the same time, but they're from you know different parts of the world. So, wait, are we still teasing Peter? Or is that real? Oh no, I I think he's got it with Lovecraft. If Peter wants to to release it, it's the best guess I have. Yeah. Yeah, I always forget Lovecraft is um, from New England. He's from New England, right? Yeah. When when do I spring the trap? Oh oh no. Yeah, dude, it's Lovecraft. Okay. <laughs> All right, so Jeremy picks up the point for our ad hoc team. Nice pull. It's not a particularly uh, obscure answer, but it was a question that I enjoyed writing and reading. Those are my criteria. No, I like it. And I think when you say, um, when you give those kinds of words and that kind of tone and say New England writer, a lot of people are going to go straight to Stephen King and not think about it again. Oh, interesting. Oh, I wasn't even thinking Stephen King. I was thinking like Nathaniel Hawthorne. I couldn't get him out of my head as a New England writer to save my life. Oh. (laughs) I always have this problem because of his writings with, like, Lovecraft just seems very English. Yeah. (laughs) And I I, I forget he's from the States. I'm like, you know, I think he is from New England. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, yeah, dude. Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the the thing that threw it up to me was like when you use words like Nefren Ka and Hadath. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's like, that's very Lovecraftian. For sure. Yeah. And the super racist cat name is 100% American. Oh, I was gonna, I was, <laughs> for the sake of time, I, I was holding back and I was gonna say like, oh, his racism is very American. <laughs> yeah, I just saw, I, I think it was H. Bomber Guy did a whole video yep. a couple years ago about Lovecraft that I just saw recently. And Terrific video. Yeah, I'm gonna throw a little bit of a yikes on Lovecraft on that. Oh, yeah. Dude, was that was that new information for you? It was. I haven't read a whole lot of his stuff. Holy cow! Well, I'm mostly familiar with the Cthulhu or however you want to pronounce it stuff, but mm-hmm. other than that, yeah, I, I I know some of his stuff, but not well. I've heard of the Outsider. That was the other thing. I just could not remember at first. Just looking at it, I'm like, I don't remember who wrote the Outsider. I know that's a thing. I know I should know it. I do want to jump in and explain my stupid joke earlier. I was joking about Little House on the Prairie, but I was thinking. Louisa May Alcott, Little Women, oh. who was a New England author. Oh. But instead I instead I went Laura Ingalls Wilder, and that's obviously not New England. And no, that would be very Midwestern. I, feel, yes. I, I thought you were going, I thought you were going, you know, Little Hadoth on the Nile, something <laughs> like that. I couldn't figure it out. All right, so Corey, your new job is to give me like a Pride and Prejudice and Zombies version of Little House on the Prairie that mixes in the old gods. <laughs> Will do. I'd rather do it with Little Women. Little Women and the Outsider, but okay. Oh, sex tape. <laughs> All right, so Peter went a literature route. Um, I did too, so hopefully this one takes you in a slightly different direction. Uh, here's mine. Literature fans are familiar with what variety of medium dry sherry, which a literal buttload of features prominently in a spoopy tale that takes place in the Montressor family catacombs, where you can presumably still find poor Fortunato today. Ding, ding, ding. Is is a cask a buttload? Uh, they're, they're synonymous enough that I'm going with it. Okay. 
I think I demonstrated knowledge of the answer there too. Are are we docking points for pronunciation? Because uh, which one did I get wrong? No, no, not you. I uh, the answer. Oh, okay. The answer comes in two different main flavors. It does, yeah. Amontillado. Well, I say amontillado, which I'm pretty sure is technically less correct, but it uh, lines up with my favorite uh, recorded performance of that story. I had always heard amontillado. Yeah, it's uh, just a quick dictionary search. Uh, they're both equally valid, so you are both equally correct. <laughs> That's the uh, Edgar Allan Poe famed short story, A Cask of Amanta Something Otto. <laughs> I just want to give a, if I can give a little plug to something that has nothing to do with me. It, it is since defunct, but I believe the archives are still available. Uh, there's a podcast called Miette's Bedtime Story Podcast, M-I-E-T-T-E, Miette's. Uh, and it's just this delightful, I think, Irish question mark woman reading a variety of short fiction and it's the fucking best i have listened to her version of the cask of Montalado so many times Ooh, cool and is in particular because it as is in the text features her maybe 17 times saying Montalado," <laughs> which will lull you to sleep more than you'd expect all right yeah that's a weird level of asmr to pull oh it's so <laughs> good Oh, Peter, are you going to start doing ASMR streams? Well, I did. Well, it's a different conversation. We'll get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're two for two on uh, literature questions. Aaron, what do you have for us? I went religion. So kind of literature. Oh. Like today's headstones, catacombs in Rome were covered with inscriptions and religious symbols. A common inscription in the catacombs is known as the ichthys. I-C-H-T-H-Y-S. The name Ichthys is derived from the Greek words for the phrase Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Savior. In addition to the catacombs, you can probably see the Ichthys on cars in any church parking lot on any given Sunday. What symbol commonly expresses this sentiment? That's a neat way you win on that. Thanks. That's one that I would write and rewrite and never be happy with. So I just <laughs> had to say, screw it. It's very labyrinthian, that question. Much like the catacombs themselves. Indeed. Ooh. All of mine are like that. I'm a word person. So I have an immediate answer that jumps in my head, but I have no actual confidence in it. It, Ooh, it was just the first it. thing that... Uh, is it the little fish symbol? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. the little Jesus fish. It's the little Jesus Got fish, yep. yep. Someone who studies fish is called an ichthyologist. Indeed. And it's, I don't know if it's a backronym or not. I couldn't figure it out. But the phrase in Greek is... I'm going to fuck this up, but it's... um. Yosos Christos Theo Yeus Soter. So I C T H Y S is the the English oh. transliteration of the Greek. Mm-hmm. But hmm. that's got to be like I don't know which came first, or if like that is actually where the ichthy fish classification came from. Like I don't I've know. Genuinely heard that the fish came from the fact that the Greek acronym for Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Savior, was almost identical to the Greek word for fish. Okay. Huh. So coincidence or or maybe it's it's god in the details or something it's probably what it is yeah and if i remember only- right in like the the roman christian persecution and i'm, I'm just talking out of my ass a little bit on this I, i'm probably 60 percent right um but if i remember correctly uh like christians who didn't want to be persecuted but still wanted to to spread their faith and notate to other people uh that they were christians would use the fish symbol as kind of like a masonic level symbol yeah so if you were in the know you knew what it was but if you weren't it just looked completely innocuous 
Exactly. Yep. It was like a little secret handshake on walls and stuff. Yeah, they would put it above where they were gathering for their services. Yep. Here be Christians. And according to Grant Morrison's The Invisibles, it's a map of the universe. Oh, that's news to me. The fish? It's... We don't, there's no. There's just simply no time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, get us in with your question. Most likely derived from the corruption of the Latin phrase catatumbus, or among the tombs, what word best describes human-made subterranean passageways usually used for religious practices or burials? My basement. <laughs> <laughs> Are podcasts legally binding? Is that a confession? Um, so I went with it in the answer. Obviously, the answer being uh, catacombs. Oh. Yeah, as I see it in print, it's one of those that if you spot it, it kind of instantly jumps to you. But um, in a podcast setting or, you know, the way like Erin does her shows where she doesn't have the questions on a display anywhere, I can see that working pretty well, especially if you're doing a round on like religious etymology, if you wanted to put it in something more pinned down. Uh, but I like it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, That's I mean, I think that'd be a good like early in the round question right yeah i would say that that's usually what i would use it for or a uh if i feel like i have an incredibly tough round like where if you read it out if you you know you're reading it up on the screen like i think you could pull catacombs possibly just from the cata mm-hmm. part of it um being the latin pole but to echo kind of peter's sentiment i would if i had to rate that on like a one to ten i'd probably put that at like a two and a half or three in terms of general difficulty mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't make it a bad question at all um no. it depends on your context but yeah yeah um definitely doesn't go that hard in the paint let's see what the hell Corey has for us i'm actually afraid so i actually i'm gonna read you two questions <laughs> the first uh, one the Boo. first one is not the one i will submit for the keyword challenge I would have had I not joked about this earlier. Kind of shot myself in the foot here because I think this is actually a fun question. This Nintendo 64 game released in early 2001 might have taken place in a catacomb if the designers were big into puns and if the main character were a cat. Instead, they made him a squirrel missing out on probably the biggest opportunity of their lives. (laughs) Conker's bad fur day. That is right. <laughs> Wait, so your other question is better than that? Because that was... God damn it, it was brilliant. <laughs> Boo! Uh, the other one is more misleading. And it's more of a an appropriate approach to the keyword challenge. With special dedicated protection being provided by Eric... This Parisian landmark is largely responsible for the uniqueness and color of Paris's skyline. Its grounds were also used to cultivate mushrooms up until the 70s, when farmers were pushed out by encroaching metropolitan construction. I was going to say, I'm assuming ERIC is an acronym of some kind, and not just like, this dude. Some Some dude named (laughs) ERIC, right? Yes. Just saying Eric uh, makes it sound more like it's a single person, which I enjoy. Right. Clearly. And obviously, because the word catacomb is not in the question, you know that that is the answer. Uh, But I think that maybe in trivia, the wording would hopefully tease people into... I'm thinking it'd push them into, like, the Eiffel Tower. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I had that in my head, not knowing, you know, not connecting it to our keyword. Uh, maybe the Arc the Triumph, maybe even the Louvre yeah. would have been probably the first three guesses. Uh, and then isn't that, I, I don't know if this is true, but it's a factoid I've come across a bunch, that like Jim Morrison's headstone is the fourth most visited like location by tourists in Paris. Has anybody else heard that? Yeah, it's it's really far mm-hmm. up there. I mean, I couldn't swear to fourth, but yes. Actually, yeah. is Peter the only one in this group who's been to Paris? I've been, but I was too young to have any idea what was going. Like, I was a teenager and stupid. There's a Paris in Illinois that the locals probably mispronounced that I've probably driven through at some point. <laughs> I uh, on this one, I, I stumbled across some really interesting facts touching on how uh, because of the catacombs, Paris isn't able to have a lot of really tall buildings. Oh, OK. I get that. Yeah, they, now. Could, they could they could yeah, collapse. I've heard that. Which is why the catacombs are responsible for Paris's skyline and oh. primarily the lack of tall buildings. Uh, also, talking about the color of Paris's skyline, all of the the older buildings there, they have that same color. That's because they were all from the same limestone that came out of the catacombs. Hmm, cool. That is really interesting information. Um, mm-hmm. I would still go with the uh, Nintendo question, though. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, we'll delete all of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, this is staying in. I'm just, I think we'll vote on the Nintendo 64 one because I think that's more accessible, um, right. even though the second one is more interesting, I'd say. I think the, I mean... I don't think this is because of my familiarity with Paris, but I, I think that the mushrooms factoid pretty much rules out a lot of things like the Louvre or the Eiffel Tower or the Arc de Triomphe. Like, those are and have been, for a very long time, very cosmopolitan, urban spaces. And I, I think including the mushrooms part is, it takes the question from being like an eight or nine down to being like a four, five, or six. It, it makes it more gettable if people think about it. To me, that that sort of makes it kind of a perfect trivia question in that you are very unlikely to get the answer if you have never heard of the catacombs, but knowing about the catacombs does not guarantee that you will automatically know the answer. Whereas, But Peter, I think... What you're forgetting here is the fundamental point, and that is that Corey always wins these damn things. <laughs> and if I can get him to post the worst of the two, then maybe one of us has a shot on uh, the Twitter poll that's going to come out with this uh, episode. Okay, I, I apologize. I I did not know that that was a component of this. <laughs> oh no, he he wins these every fucking week, and it's about time somebody takes the crown off his head. So, uh, listeners, tell us which of the five of us you think uh, crafted the best question. The poll for this episode will be up on Twitter when it releases. That is at Quadrivia Pod. We'll leave that poll open for several days. Uh, and simply put, you tell us who you think wrote it best. Yay! Not Corey. <laughs> and now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Peter, 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 Peter. Straight, straight. Oh my straight, god. Straight, straight, straight. Peter is here to present to us a round of his trivia. All right, so Peter, what do you have for us today? Uh, I have a round about hip hop. Oh, okay. I've heard of that. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, me too. I don't I've I've nothing to contribute. I'm just kidding. The the first trivia game that we did on Zoom, which was I guess a month 
month-ish ago. I, I, I didn't write most of it, but I, you know, consulted and edited on the quiz. Um, but we were kind of didn't know if it was going to be a real thing. It doesn't matter. We wrote it fairly quickly. The entire first round was based off of lyrics from We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. Oh, let's do that round. Let's do that round. That's going to be way better than hip-hop for us. Uh, <laughs> hey, no, I'm, I'm down for some hip-hop. When collecting feedback, we got multiple accusations of racism. And we were like, you know what? Agreed. <laughs> because if you don't know this one super iconic mainstay of white people music, it's basically a dead round for you. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I am always curious to to figure out like what are the the I mean I wasn't kidding earlier when I do think of like podcasting and trivia and all the other things as being part of the socio political aspect of my career. I am curious to figure out like what biases are we bringing into mm-hmm. uh, trivia? Like when me and my friend Emily are writing the quiz, we're like, are we just writing things that we're nerds about? Usually. And is that going to be exclusionary to teams that aren't nerds about the same things that we are nerds about? I mean, let's be honest. Like, I think we all kind of do that. Sure. You write what you know. Yeah, it's an incredibly valid point. I know Aaron and I have had at least two conversations over the last two years about um, just accessing, kind of checking our privilege in a sense and knowing that we're probably writing things that demographically are going to play differently uh, depending on who and where you are and yeah. what we can do as writers to kind of bridge that gap a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have the answer, please tell us. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, li- living in New York is great for that because it is just such an insanely diverse city uh, along an, every conceivable, um, whatchamacallit, thing. Spectrum. There it is. Peter, uh, back in February, we had a, a little discussion in uh our our trivia writers co-op about uh that a minor one i a very white guy in eastern washington that does a lot of work in north idaho was approached by a north idaho bar asking me to do a black history round uh, for black history month and trying hard not to uh upset all of my lovely people over in North Idaho, it can get really interesting venturing outside of very stereotypically white stuff mm-hmm. when I'm hosting up in North Idaho. And it it was a, a very challenging round for me to write. I wound up um, reaching out to a few uh, people of color I know in North Idaho and asking them to go over the questions that I had written and making sure that they are um, appropriate and not stereotyping and things like that. But it was really eye-opening trying to, to figure out not only how to write it, but also to make sure it came across appropriately and that the players are going to be able to get it. That's the trick, is that stuff that... And I have this conversation with my Canadian friends a lot as well, is that stuff that is going to play difficult to my audience is comically easy to people who know their history and it's 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 really hard i do the same thing i do a black history category and i always run it by some people i'm like hey what's this dumb white girl said this time please <laughs> teach me because i don't know i mean i with the caveat this is not my main line of work I, if that 
had come my way, I would have seriously considered finding someone of color to write and host that round for me. Mm -hmm. I would just bring in a featured host. It's fair. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, I hope that this round is balanced decently well uh, so that if you know a bunch about hip-hop, you'll get some, but if you don't know any, you'll still get some other ones. Oh, I'm going to suck on this, but bring it. <laughs> I mean, we'll find out. I, I really, you know, I, I know uh, some of you a little bit and some not at all and some better. I really uh, kind of was rolling the dice to see how easy or this might be comically easy, might be impossible. We'll find out. All right, let's do it. As the host, Peter, you get to decide if we are playing this individually or as a team. Ah, let's play as a team. Hooray! Okay. Oh, right. thank God. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, are we ready? Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. Question number one. Originally coined by Africa Bombada and Zulu Nation, the four elements of hip-hop are, briefly said, MCing, DJing, B-boying, and what controversial fourth element? More generally spoke, speaking, rapping, well, DJing, and dancing or breakdancing. Number two. What jazz, soul, and spoken word artist, who has been referred to as the godfather of rap, although that title is more often given to a different man, and the black Bob Dylan, although he hated that comparison, released his final album in 2010, his first in 16 years. And I'll throw in as a, a bonus, and who died the following year in 2011. Number three. According to the Wu-Tang Clan, <laughs> what does cream stand for? All right. Okay. C-R-E-A-M. The one episode that Jeff decided not to record with us, he's going to be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I threw some in that I thought might be more accessible. <laughs> Number four. In rap and hip-hop culture, what is biting? Number five. Only two rappers have occupied the top three spots on Billboard's rap charts simultaneously, either as lead or as featured artist. Once in the 2000s and once in the 2010s. Name either of them. Number six. What track was the fastest ever to be certified diamond by the RIAA, holds the record for longest streak at the top of the Hot 100 with 19 weeks, but first hit number 19 on another Billboard chart before being controversially removed. Number seven. What Chicago-based rapper rented out an entire theater in 2017 to let people see Jordan Peele's debut feature Get Out for free? Number eight. What holiday-inspired name is given to a weekly free music service during the summer and fall of 2010? a group of songs leading up to a highly anticipated album release in 2016, and unofficially given to a series of recording sessions that produced five albums in 2018. Number nine. Primarily criticizing women, but originally written for a woman, opening with an interpolation of Ray Charles, but reversing Ray Charles's original message, its second verse written before its first, 
What Grammy-winning single broke the record for fastest-selling digital download in 2005? And finally, number 10. According to Coolio, what do you have to do to get down? All right, so we've got all 10. I think we'll take a, a minute or two as a team to kind of chew these over and come up with guesses before we send it back to Peter and find out just how little we know about uh, rap. <laughs> I can't wait to learn. I'm going to learn a lot. Let's start with where we feel confident. I'm confident on three. Before you guys steal any thunder I have, <laughs> uh, I'm confident on three, on six, on nine, and ten. Okay. I've got two guesses on eight. Um, I've narrowed it down to two. Or no, maybe that's seven. Hold on. The Chicago-based rapper question. Yeah, it's seven, yeah. and I have the same two guesses you do, Jeremy. Don't Probably. worry. I, I think I do, too. And in fact, now I'm going to narrow it to one, I think. Yeah, number six, I, uh, I'm i 99% sure on. I'm confident on three, four, seven, nine. Let's start with one. Originally coined by Africa Mabata and Zulu Nation, the four elements of hip-hop are emceeing, DJing, b-boying, and what controversial fourth element? So we've got hyping, we've got, well... Hyping, we would say emceeing, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm actually now that I see the the emceeing, the DJing, and the b boying, I'm thinking it might be dissing. That could be because he said controversial. So like dissing or trash talking, yeah. I was thinking like art or fashion. Okay. Dancing, DJing, emceeing. Are are we calling like the singing, the the rapping, like in DJing? That's emceeing or emceeing. Okay. Yeah, I think like sampling would be part of DJing, so I don't know if that's the direction that we're looking for here. Hmm. Blinging. <laughs> I mean, I, w I was thinking that fashion or something wouldn't be unreasonable. I'm, I'm okay with going with that if we want to lock it in. Blinging or fashion. Because they're all ing, I was thinking like blinging, like, you know, the <laughs> jewelry and gold teeth and stuff. I don't know. Aaron, do you have any input on that? None at all. Cool. So what's your uh, what's your locked in answer? Let's say fashion. Okay. Okay. That I will say that of your guesses and musings, that was by far the closest. Uh, although okay. Corey was actually closer when he said art or fashion. Okay. Uh, the fourth element is graffiti. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Controversial, largely because unlike the other three. Uh, graffiti has a large culture that is unrelated to hip-hop, and there are graffiti artists and people in the graffiti culture who do not identify with that, you know, cultural association. Okay. Okay. That's a good one. I like it, but give me a hundred guesses, and I'm going to tell you not graffiti a hundred times <laughs> yeah, on that question. Yeah, look, <laughs> if you don't know about hip-hop, that one's hard. The four elements right. are um, not often talked about these days. That's fair. I, I learned something. I, I like it. Yeah. All right, Peter, give us a repeat of number two. You got it. What jazz, soul, spoken word artist who has been referred to as the godfather of rap, although that title is more often given to a different man, and the black Bob Dylan, although he hated that comparison, released his final album in 2010, his first in 16 years before dying in 2011. So I have an idea about this one, but the whole given to another man, like that might be, I might be thinking of the other person 
And the fact that he left off comedian and actor pushes me away from it. But I, my first thought was Rudy Ray Moore. Okay. I'll, I'll tap out on this one because I have absolutely nothing jumping to mind. I'll go with whatever you guys think is best. And uh, Rudy Ray Moore sounds just as good of an answer I wasn't going to give you as anything else. Yeah, everything I was coming up with because of the dead thing, they, they, all, they didn't die in 2011. So everybody I'm thinking kind of fits that for me is like it's not the right year. I don't know when Rudy Ray Moore died. I know it would have been around that time, but I don't know if he did like jazz and spoken word and stuff. I know he was a comedian. I know he he was Dolomite. If you're familiar with the the Dolomite movies, oh okay. Um, and I mean Dolomite, like in the movies, he does a lot of spoken word. So, but that's that's the only thought that I have here. Is that your answer? Yeah, let's say Rudy Ray Moore. That's a great fucking guess, uh, because Rudy Ray Moore is the other man referred to as the godfather of rap, and in fact is more often uh, that name is given to Rudy Ray Moore. Uh, but this is Gil Scott Heron. Uh, if you don't know the name, you probably know The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Okay, that does sound familiar. Yes. Like yeah. That I have heard of. Yeah, which is by far his his best known track. Um, I, I, I mostly wanted to put this in... Because I kind of, I like worship Gil Scott Heron. I think he's incredible. And I think that if we're taking this as an opportunity to learn things we didn't know already, everyone should be listening to more Gil Scott Heron. When researching this round, I found an old Playboy interview with him from 76. And not only is it just overall incredible, um, there there are quotes from him, these big long block quotes that are so fucking prescient about the ways in which the people of this country would be divided and oppressed for the next 50 years. He's such an amazing guy. His work was so incredible. He as a man was incredible. Look him up. You know, right in that that same vein, talking about the oppression, uh, Rudy Ray Moore, the other Mm -hmm. godfather of rap, the movie Dolomite, brought about one of my favorite movie quotes of all time, which is I'm so bad I kick my own ass twice a day. <laughs> yeah, Rear Moore <laughs> is fucking terrific, dude. <laughs> That's a really good thank you. I I like that one, Peter, a lot. I was trying to make sure we include that in the show notes too, uh by the way. Yeah. So people can look that up as well. Yeah, Definitely. that that last album in twenty ten, I'm new here, is like I, I it's one of the only albums that I can't listen to too often because it'll just it'll wreck me what would you suggest as a good starting point like among his albums there's um there's a pretty good compilation album of a lot of his early stuff if you're looking for like an accessible easy way to get in yeah just the best of the best of gil scott heron uh it's got stuff like the revolution will be televised and johannesburg which are some of his um better known kind of protest tracks um, which is a term I use somewhat trepidatiously because he, whatever. Uh, but it also has stuff like the bottle, um, which are, um, less political, more soulful, more personal. Um, I mean, he, he, he struggled with drug addiction for his whole life and yeah, I mean, he's amazing, but, but I'm new here. I would say is actually just as good a jumping on point as anything else. All right. Yeah, uh, my silence in this whole right. round is mostly because I'm just listening and getting educated on this. Yeah, and also because I don't have a fucking answer to save my life for half of these. 
Well, I gotta tell you, man, I knew I was coming to four trivia hosts. I needed to come up with something that I thought could actually stump you. Uh, number three, according to the Wu-Tang Clan, what does cream stand for? All right, do we just all want to take this together? <laughs> sure, on three? Yep. All right, one, two, three. Cash rules everything around me. We know, Jason, we know. <laughs> And and thanks for for abandoning ship on the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what the hell happens? I think that was to see if if he was gonna like do anything or he was gonna go silent wait for Corey to answer. <laughs> we actually we all planned that to make Jason uh, be the sole answer. So. Oh, I love and hate you all for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went through so many different Wu Tang questions that I could ask, and I just yeah do a whole round on Wu-Tang. Now, full disclosure, I only know this because a couple weeks ago I rehashed my 90s music uh, theme for an online game, and uh, one of the guys from the Triviality Podcast had done picture questions for me, and one of them was the album title for Cream. Nice. Huh. Nice. Should we move on to number four? We should. In rap culture, what is biting? So I've, I've got a pretty good one on this, but I'll let you guys jump in first. See, my guess on this would be, like, this is where we go back to, like, diss track or something like that, or uh, dissing somebody, or possibly, like, rap battle type thing is what I was thinking, but I don't know. I can't get the visual out of my head about, like, hip-hop artists, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, like, biting down on a gold chain or a gold medal. So I have no idea if that has anything to do with anything, but that's the imagery that comes to my head when I think of biting. Aaron? I don't know. I'm going to say that a lot. I'm I'm like 90 to 95% on this one. Uh, I believe it's plagiarizing. Oh, oh that's, that's good. good. But like, I believe it's usually in uh, freestyle. It's more, you know, when you're during the, the rap battles and stuff mm-hmm. uh, and you, you use somebody else's words. Like biting off a piece of their rhyme or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Go with it. Okay. Um, yeah, that's absolutely right. I actually, um, when I started thinking about what I wanted to do for this round, I briefly considered doing just a whole round of lyrics that have been quoted and taken from other rap songs previously, either transparently or plagiaristically. And there's there's a really great uh, little Wayne track called Dr. Carter, where he quotes a Kanye track, you know, citing Kanye. Um, he says, that was called recycling. Uh, reciting something because you dislike it, so you say dislike it. Some say it's biting, but I say it's enlightening. Besides, Dr. Kanye West is one of the brightest. Ooh. And there, there's, like, so much of that. I mean, like, there's the there's the famous um, uh, Little Did He Know That in Little Italy... I don't actually... I can't... I'm not a rapper, so I can't do that, but there's a very famous... There's a lot of that stuff. I mean, the, the borrowing... Whatever, I could talk about this forever. I think Eminem does uh, does it quite a bit in his uh, like diss tracks, too. Yeah. Well, and there's a great line. I can't remember the whole... To, to make this back about the white people. Of course. <laughs> uh, well, there's this uh, there's a 50 cent line. Go ahead, and switch the st- Go ahead and switch the style up, and if they hate them, let them hate them, watch the money pile up. Kanye quotes that line, and then someone else quoted Kanye quoting that line. <laughs> it's really terrific, man. All right, let's try number five. All right, only two rappers have simultaneously occupied the top three spots on Billboard's rap chart, either as lead or as featured artist, once in the 2000s and once in the 2010s. Name either of them. 
So I've got two names that jumped to mind here, but I think somebody else said they were confident on this one. Not me. I've got a pair of guesses, but no confidence on this one specifically. Yeah, I'm not confident on this one either. Uh, again, a couple guesses in the right field, but... Is one of them an animal? Not on my list, no. No? Oh, okay. So what's 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 yours? Are you thinking like Taiga? You guys are being so coy with each other. <laughs> <laughs> You're all on the same team. Does he have a mustache? I want to let him have his credit here. No, I don't want to poison the well if I throw anybody off track with my badass answer, because I have Jay-Z in the 2000s and Eminem in the 2010s, maybe. Yeah, I was thinking either Jay-Z or, like, Dr. Dre. I totally misread it. I thought it was uh, that both of them have done it in both the 2000s and 2010s. Oh, okay. Uh, no, there. One of the rappers did it in the two thousands, and the other rapper did it in the twenty tens. Well, then I feel less confident, but I'm I'm still thinking Snoop Dogg, and or maybe Pharrell. Ooh, maybe. I feel a little better on Snoop Dogg. Uh, Jeremy, what were you gonna throw out? Well, I was throwing out like uh, Jay Z, possibly Eminem, because his uh, singles always hit pretty fast. Um, mm-hmm. Kanye. Uh, oh, uh, Kendrick Lamar, when he released Damn, hit the charge pretty hard. That's true. Yeah, maybe. Aaron. Hi. Do you have any direction you want to go on uh, the handful of guesses we've thrown out? We'll we'll go with you. Oh, don't do that. Be bold. No, I don't. I'm, I'm scared because I don't know anything. This is like, music is my worst category, and this is my worst, like, genre of music. So I really have nothing to contribute so please, some. I mean, I can go get, I can go roll a dice if you guys like, which would be just as valid. Do we want to go with like Eminem because we know he gets significant airplay whenever he drops stuff? Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> no. But it says Billboard's rap chart, so that narrows it down to not necessarily Eminem. Like, I would think Hot 100 total uh, could be Eminem, but like I said, that my guess, uh, I'm leaning even more towards Kendrick Lamar right now because he, uh, when he released Damn, that album went nuts. All right, I'm good with Kendrick. How about Kendrick for the 2010s and Snoop Dogg for the 2000s? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I only need one, right? Yeah, but it's, it's fun to do both. Yeah. We're just, just showing off now. Yeah. yeah, let's be wrong twice, guys. <laughs> yeah. How bad was so, it? So Eminem actually was not the worst guess. Uh, the answer for the 2000s is 50 Cent, who did it in 2005. Oh, oh okay. yeah. Okay. That would make sense. People forget how fucking huge he was. In, like, 2005. It's a voluntary choice. And kind of the the real... I mean, whatever, man. He's... I got a lot to say about Fiddy. I think a lot of his shit is trash, but other parts of it are fucking incredible. Yeah, he was very hit or miss, but his hits were The hard. hits fucking hit. And the other thing... This is why I said as either lead or featured artist. Because yeah. a lot of this is just about... They were on tracks, yeah. Yeah, if I'm thinking about how a contestant would try and suss this out if they didn't know... One way to... the 2010s Lil John. No, 2010s is Drake. Oh. Wow. Okay. Oh, I right. had him in mind, and then I didn't think he would have been that high on the rap charts because of the crossover appeal. Yeah. Shit. Fucking right. Degrassi, man. Let us also not forget that Drake holds the record for most singles to hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. And it's like, there's a gap, man. It's He's got 19, the next one down is 16. Wow. Damn, wow. good on him. Drake is huge. He's been huge for a long time. And again, what I was saying about the lead or featured, a lot of these artists are showing up on other tracks. So you have to ask yourself, 
not just who's popular, but who's prolific and who's collaborating a lot. Because I know he collabed with like Rihanna on What's My Name and a bunch of other oh, things. Yeah. Just yeah, and Fiddy was on everything. And that's where I all of a sudden when you first said that, like I'm like, wait, was it Lil John? Because I didn't even think of him because but he's featured on a crap ton of different artists. Yeah, Lil John would not have been a terrible guess. And that's why I was thinking Pharrell Williams too, because he yeah. he collaborates a lot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but Pharrell's more often credited as a producer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number six, what track was the fastest ever to be certified diamond? Holds the record for longest streak at the top of the Hot 100 with 19 weeks, but first hit number 19 on a different Billboard chart before being controversially removed. I know this one. Yeah. Yeah. This is Old Town Road, and it was on the yeah. country charts. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Hit the country charts almost a full month before it hit number one on the Hot 100. Huh. I've heard of that song, so, you know. <laughs> As a wedding DJ, I can't stop hearing it. Oh my yes. Well, and I, I wrote a very similar question for one of my shows after it broke the record. I was hoping Aaron was going to jump in with, guys, I got one finally on that. <laughs> <laughs> it, You know, I, I'm looking at the question. I'm like, no, I absolutely know that. I know that because I asked about that song like six weeks in a row. But I think my brain has just gone to panic mode and just shut down. Oh, no. Uh, fun fact about Old Town Road on the top uh, on the Billboard Hot 100. It's first week at number one was the original version and the remaining 18 with Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, they kept re-releasing it and it kept hitting. Yeah. I was like, how does that, that shouldn't count. There needs to be an asterisk in there or something. Uh, <laughs> apparently all different versions of a track funnel into the same listing on the charts. Uh, number seven, what Chicago-based rapper rented out an entire theater in 2017 to let people see Jordan Peele's debut feature Get Out for free? confident on this one too but i think the chicago people should answer it yeah everybody knows there's only two chicago rappers it's kanye (laughs) and it's chance and i'm pretty sure it's too cool of a move for kanye so i'm throwing chance the rapper out there on this yeah that was my exact thought process too i'm like it's got to be one of the two um Oh, so many Chicago rappers just felt a pain in their chest and don't know why. <laughs> no, I, I think what he means by that is like oh. Chicago rappers that have made it to that level, being where Kanye has, has like you know he's on a label and he made it big, um, and Chance the Rapper being like the most uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not influential, but like um, popular solo artist who he releases his own stuff. He does not have a label. Um, and does a lot of good things for the city of Chicago. He donates a mm-hmm. crap ton of money to like the Chicago school systems and does a lot of fundraisers and everything. Uh, so I could totally see him doing this uh, more than I could uh, Kanye. Yeah, that that was my thought process as well, because I actually had a thought process for this one, because he pops up on my radar doing the philanthropic stuff and the outreach stuff and just seems like a really cool guy. Oh, agreed wholeheartedly. So I think we're locked in with Chance the Rapper, guys. So it's not common Oh fuck! It might be common. No, it, I'm. Ju- it's not. It's it's one hundred percent chance. <laughs> yeah, it's chance. Uh, incidentally, also born in Chicago, Illinois, Gil Scott Heron. Uh, but yeah, chance of the rapper. Please say the rapper, who's just the goddamn best. Yeah, I I I I tried writing and then threw out a bunch of drafts of. I couldn't figure out a way to word it right. Uh, questions about rappers who hit it big without ever having an album. Because uh, that describes both Chance and Cardi B. Interesting. I didn't know about the Cardi B one, but I did know Chance because he didn't actually release a studio album for a long time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It was all uh, free. He just released all of his music for free Mixed online, tapes. and he gave out his you know he re- gave out CDs and just everything. He didn't really start making money off of it until later on. He was just giving out his music. Yep. 
And uh, yeah, Cardi, you know, pre-Bodak Yellow, uh, Gangsta Bitch Music Volumes 1 and 2, which is where I first heard about her. Um, number eight, what holiday-inspired name is given to a, f- a weekly free music service during the summer and fall of 2010, a group of songs leading up to a highly anticipated album release in 2016, and unofficially given to a series of recording sessions that produced five albums in 2018? I have an educated guess on this, but it's going off of uh, like the beginning of the clue, so if anybody else has input, feel free to throw in before I throw out what I have. I got nothing. I was going to say Festivus as a joke, but... <laughs> this one definitely threw me. I, I feel like I'm gonna feel stupid when I hear it, but I'm I'm drawing a huge blank. This one's very hard. The best I was able to come up with, and it might be way off base, is the Twelve Days of Hip Hop. Oh, I like it. I feel like I should jump in because I don't think anyone's gonna get it. Uh, if if I throw the name Kanye West in, does that jog anyone's That's... brain? Well, I was thinking Kanye. I remember like there was a big thing about Kanye doing a big push but mm-hmm. i still can't think of the name at all uh it's good fridays oh okay yeah. oh okay i was way the hell off base had not heard that um yeah g-o-o-d uh is is i, I god i'm blanking now i think it's also it comes up uh, it's like god with an extra o uh it's it's a kanye thing everything's a kanye thing i'm not gonna open up the kanye box Hold on, hold on. Didn't you get upset about us calling uh, Mother's Day a holiday? Uh, primarily criticizing women, but originally <laughs> written for a woman. Opening with an interpolation of Ray Charles, but reversing Charles' message. Its second verse written before its first. What Grammy-winning single broke the record for fastest-selling digital download in 2005? I know this one. Alright, go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> Gold Digger. That's right. That's right, it's Gold Digger. Yeah, the, the Ray Charles was the big tip-off for me on this one. Uh, yeah, it uh, it opens with an interpretation of Ray Charles by Jamie Foxx, who had just played Ray Charles in Ray, although Kanye had been working on the track prior to that movie's development. So th- oh, everything just seems to be backwards on this track. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, man. And, and without, um, I'll just leave it to people to research if they want on their own, but this is a really good example of a, a really good window into the way in which a lot of hip-hop tracks are written and produced. Because it's it's often very unlike other genres. They're often written piecemeal. Some verses are written for a song that never got produced, but then gets repurposed mm-hmm. somewhere else. I swear to God, there's a Kanye track that I heard a piece of back in, like, 2006, and I don't know what it was, and I'll never be able to find it. Because I don't think it's a real track, but it must have just been, like, a snippet on something else, and it makes me crazy. Are you sure you're not thinking of Poopty Scoop? It's possible, man. It's entirely possible. Number 10, according to Coolio, what do you have to do to get down? I got this, guys. Okay. I got this. All right. One, two, three, four. Get your woman on the floor. Gotta, gotta get up to get down. That's absolutely right. You gotta get up to get down. <laughs> Point of information, I knew that one as well. Yeah. Oh, See there good. you go. Hey, I'm sorry I took your thunder <laughs> on that, but the the wedding DJ <laughs> no. karaoke host in me really needed to to drop that knowledge bomb. And and I could not have done it better than you, so I happily happily cede the privilege. Oh, I'm so sorry that I'm the pinnacle of having uh, performed that, Aaron. <laughs> Told you, white girl from Central Virginia. I think that's got to be one of the lines that, for whatever reason, I just casually quote that constantly because it makes me laugh. 
weirdly it comes up a lot when i'm playing video games on twitch so i'm like how the fuck do i get down there okay well if coolio taught me anything i gotta get up to get down so <laughs> and it works it's one of those little jokes from me to me those are the best jokes so you guys know how we don't keep scoring these rounds but we still went six out of ten considering our demographics i'm gonna take that as a moral victory for sure yeah also, hopefully I didn't die. And we learned a bunch of stuff. So thank you for this round, Peter. It was amazing. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you. I've got a ton of tabs open. I don't know if you can hear me typing. I've been putting stuff into Wikipedia to read later. <laughs> oh, God. I'm so glad. I'm I'm so happy that I'm dropping my mic and unplugging my headphones. Definitely fucking up the recording at a crucial <laughs> moment of wrapping up the podcast. <laughs> oh, God damn no. it. All right. Well, that was a solid round, Peter. Uh, thank you. Very, very much appreciated. Um at that it is about time for us to wrap up here this is going to be our first time giving some shout outs for our intro and outro music because they were picked after the other episodes were recorded um i'm gonna jump in and say big thank you to limbo lads limbo lads from spokane washington for the uh intro and outro uh jason uh can you tell us about the uh, keyword break music Oh, the interstitial keyword break has been uh, the topic of much discussion. Big shout out to <laughs> Will Fidanzo for providing the background music on that. I swear not all of his music sounds like 70s porn. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. Oh, the, the fans are already saying it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and now it's a thing. Like It's just got to be that way now because it's a thing. Like It's, it's canon. God, just yep. synth plus bass equals um, fur Porn. that you don't want to see on your parents. <laughs> Great. Okay, that was terrible. Let's wrap this up. Fun fact. Yep. All porn music sounds like a lower budget, less copyrighted version of the most popular genre of that era. Just these are just things that I think about sometimes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank Peter you. Shower thoughts. Thank you for that, Peter. I find porn music fascinating. <laughs> well, who doesn't really? So, so you read Playboy for the uh, for the articles, and I listen to porn for the music. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think it's so funny that like the um, there is this idea of porn music that is so entrenched in the culture. Like this is bow chicka bow wow. Like you can just spell it out. Yeah. But porn music hasn't sounded like that for conservatively forty years. And, like, porn music still has a very distinctive sound. It just doesn't sound like bad, cheap, copyright-free funk, because it ain't the 70s anymore. It sounds like, you know, if it's in the 2000s, bad, cheap, copyright-free, um, new metal rap hop. I could go on. As, as a connoisseur uh, of sorts of watching but never listening, I have no idea what you're talking about, but it totally makes sense. Um, let's get on out of here, guys. Uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you so much, Peter, for for joining us. You are our first ever special guest, and you uh, performed admirably. Hot damn. So thank you for that. Yeah. yeah, this was a joy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Peter, where can people find you? Oh, geez. Um, you can see me streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash here's peter h-e-r-e-s-p-i-t-r uh tuesdays through fridays and sundays at 8 p.m eastern uh the podcast the film reroll which features me and a bunch of other unbelievably funny talented people can be found at filmreroll.com and on all of your 
friendly neighborhood podcast services. I'm on Twitter at pitterpatter, P-I-T-R-P-A-T-R. And uh, if you want to see more about my theater work, you can go over to tornoutheater.org. I believe that's with an ER. Well, it's with an ER, but I believe we also bought RE just in case. <laughs> yeah, not to be pedantic, but good call on both of those uh, spellings oh, for yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, got it. All right, so for uh, the rest of the quadriviates, as we say goodbye to you, uh, my name's Jason. You can find my online streams on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash liquid underscore courage. And uh, to clarify from previous episodes, yes, courage is spelled with the letter K because the copyright was cheaper on that. Uh, you can also find information about our shows and upcoming uh, events, if and when upcoming events happen, on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash liquid courage. All right, I'm Jeremy, uh, also with Liquid Courage, but you can find me on Twitter at at JerWG. You can find me on Twitch at uh, LKJeremy. Yeah, that, that's about it. I'm on Facebook and stuff, but uh, you can find links to that in other places and uh, at the Liquid Courage page as well. I'm Aaron. I'm not with Liquid Courage. I'm with Orange Cat Trivia. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitch at Orange Cat Trivia, streaming live games Thursdays at 7.30 Eastern and then other times whenever I feel like it. And I'm Corey. Uh, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thirddegreeentertainment. It's all spelled out. I am hosting live trivia Mondays and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific. You can also find me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Just search Third Degree Entertainment. And that's about it. You can find us on Twitter at QuadriviaPod. You can shoot us an email at QuadriviaPod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at uh, Facebook.com slash QuadriviaPod. I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into trivia the people who craft it and the stories behind it have a good night bye that's the sign off We'll double our downloads from four to eight. It's going to be worth it. Corey, Exponential Corey. growth, baby. You never release the download numbers, man. <laughs> okay, I mean five. Great, yeah, throw them off the trail.